Good morning, Saints. I'm sorry I couldn't be there with you this morning. Um, some of the uh, cancer treatment side effects um, have hit me today, and I just um, could not make it. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here by Zoom, and uh, let's open our Bibles and, and study our passage this morning. Uh, we have come to Matthew chapter 26, and um, we've just completed the section on Matthew called the Olivet Discourse. That sermon is all about future events and details of Jesus' second coming. So he finishes the sermon, and this is where we pick up our story this morning. Uh, Matthew 26, 1 through 13 is the section that we're going to be looking at, but we're going to look at it in a couple of uh, parts. So let's just take a look at the first five verses so far. Uh, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So here's the scene. It is, and this is important because uh, it'll come into play later in the message. But here's the scene. It, has, it is two days before the crucifixion of Jesus. It is Wednesday of the uh, crucifixion week. Israel's religious leaders are meeting together with Caiaphas, the high priest, and they're plotting to secretly capture Jesus and kill him. But they agree to wait until after the Feast of Passover because so many people had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they felt that it would be better to wait until the pilgrims returned home so that the arrest of Jesus would not cause a riot in the city. But God had different plans. God's prophecies, as we've seen already in our studies, must be fulfilled, and they must be fulfilled on time. Jesus would die on time, and that year he would become the Passover lamb slain for the sins of the world. No longer would there be lambs uh, that were needed to be sacrificed to cover sin, but his sacrifice would be the once forever sacrifice that would take away the sins of all who believe in him. Well, while the religious rulers were hatching a diabolical plan against the Lord Jesus, the scripture actually shifts our focus to what is taking place just two miles away from Jerusalem in a home in Bethany. So let's take a look at verse six. And when Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper. Simon. Who is Simon? He is simply described here as Simon the leper. And since leprosy was incurable and lepers were not permitted to live among the healthy, we must assume from this statement that Simon the leper was actually Simon the healed leper. We know that only Jesus had the power to heal the sick, 
to make deaf hear, to make the blind see, to make the leap, the lame leap for joy and make a leper clean and healthy. And I do not doubt that Jesus healed Simon of leprosy. And it's perhaps because he was healed um, that Simon opened his home for hospitality. We know that Jesus was there with his disciples, and it appears that he was there with an unnamed woman who came to this uh, dinner engagement. And it's possible that Simon invited some of his friends. Now, prior to his healing, he would only have leprous friends. But now that he was healed, he was making new friends. And I have no doubt that he uh, would have invited them to hear from the one who healed him of all his infirmities. And that's really the, the way the gospel should be spread. The Lord Jesus saves us. He heals us of our sin and our iniquity. And we now have a new story to tell. And it's an opportunity for us to invite our friends and family to hear the good news of what the Lord has done for us. Simon lived for years on the outskirts of society. He was not a welcome guest at any party. He was not involved uh, or invited to anyone's home. He was an outcast. We get a little taste of this as we continue enduring the COVID pandemic. We've all learned a little bit about social distancing, and we have what is called the six-foot rule, meaning that we're supposed to stay six feet apart from one another so we don't spread COVID to each other. As a leper, Simon had to socially distance himself from people for life. Apart from the healing touch of Jesus, there was no known cure. He had to stay more than six feet apart And he had to publicly announce to anyone that he saw that he was a leper. He had to cover his mouth and call out to people a great way off saying, unclean, unclean. For we read that that's what they were to say in Leviticus 13, 45. And people would run the other way. Nobody wanted leprosy. And a leper was an outcast. He was socially isolated from society. I remember um, June 2020, when I went back to the hospital for my third week of surgeries. And I remember arriving in my room, and for some reason, the hospital staff thought that I had COVID. And this was when hospitals were short on PPE, personal protection equipment. And so there wasn't enough to go around to the staff as it was. And here, they thought I had COVID. Nobody wanted to be in my room. And on top of that, they thought I had C. diff, which is also contagious. And so they put me in an isolation room, and no one wanted to come into my room. They would stand in the hallway just outside of the room, and they would call in, Mr. Robertson, are you okay? (laughs) I was almost expecting them to take my own vitals. And um, I was an outcast. Well, the next day, the test results came back in, and I did not have COVID. I did not have C. diff. And I noticed a transformation in the staff. They would now come in once again uh, into my room. They would come near to me. My disability had now become my opportunity to share the gospel with as many staff members as would listen to me. And I, I found that 
by the end of my 10 days in the hospital that staff members were coming in and actually begging me to share the gospel with them. The guy that had been an outcast was now being sought after uh, to, to share the gospel with the, the hospital staff. And I think that's the case with Simon the leper. He was an outcast. But now that he had come to know the Lord, people wanted to know what was going on. People wanted to know how he had been transformed from having leprosy to being healed. And he wanted to know the one that Simon knew. I lived in isolation for just 24 hours. Simon was resigned to a lifetime of isolation because he was contagious. But now we find him hosting a party. This was revolutionary. Of course, he had been healed and Jesus the healer was there at the dinner party. I think Simon was making up for lost time. And so he threw open the door of his home and invited people to come and hear the Lord Jesus. Simon's former disability had become his opportunity to open his heart, his home, and his life to let others know about the Savior. What he could not do because of leprosy, he could now do because of the Savior. Isn't it interesting how the Lord takes our weaknesses and he makes them our strength? He takes a leper out of isolation and makes him hospitable. He takes a thief and turns him into a philanthropist. He makes the the lame leap for joy and causes the weak to be made strong. Think of the transformation in your own life. What you might have formerly considered a disability, the Lord now opens doors of opportunity, and you have the rest of your life to show what great things the Lord has done for you. Well, next in uh, verses 7 through 13, we read about a woman. The story has shifted from Jerusalem and the plot to kill Jesus to this home, uh, Simon's house in Bethany. And now in this uh, section, we now focus on a single woman who's there at this event. And by her action, you'll notice that she shows what she thinks of Jesus. Let's read it, starting with verse 7. A woman came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head and he, as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me, you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, if this story sounds familiar, it should, for there are four similar stories in the gospel. All four stories focus on a single woman who comes to Jesus and worships the Lord Jesus with all her heart and pours out her love for him 
in a sacrificial way. And every time I read these stories, I am rebuked for the cold heart, my cold heart, um, every time I think of what they did uh, for him. So I want to just briefly uh, look at the stories and point out some similarities and some differences between the stories. The first story is found in the early days of Jesus' ministry. I would say probably in the first or second year of his ministry. So I just call her uh, the first woman. And it's a story that is found in Luke chapter 7 and beginning with verse 36. If you have a a Bible, turn there, and we're going to just look at selected verses as we go through these uh, different passages. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So as I mentioned, the date of this is probably two years before Christ's crucifixion. And we know that it took place um, that early because John the Baptist um, was still living at the time. In Luke chapter 7, verse 18, um, we see that John sent two disciples to ask Jesus in the same chapter, are you the coming one or do we look for another? So John was still alive when this event occurred. That's very early on in Jesus' ministry. The location is also different than um, we were looking at in uh, Matthew. The interesting thing is the host of the um, dinner engagement has the same name. His name is Simon, but he's distinguished from Simon the leper by being called Simon the Pharisee. And if you look at the context of uh, chapter 7, verse 11, the Uh, Pharisee's house was likely in the town of Nain. So the host's name was Simon, but he was a Pharisee, not a leper, and he likely lived in Nain, not in Bethany. So the stories are different. The timing, the location, and the people are different. The character, this woman, uh, is called in verse 37, a woman in the city who was a sinner. And she brings a gift, and this gift is an alabaster alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she comes weeping, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears, and she wipes them with the hair of her head, and she kisses his feet and anoints them with the fragrant oil. The response to this in... um, this particular story is that the host, Simon, the Pharisee, spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner, verse 39. The reason Jesus allowed her to worship was because, first of all, he came to Simon's house. Simon showed him no customary hospitality, Whereas this woman poured out her love for the Lord, she washed his feet, not with water, but with her tears. And and Jesus said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so he's speaking to her, saying that your sins, I know your sins, and I know there are many, but I forgive you your sins. (laughs) But at the same time, he's 
rebuking Simon and saying, you didn't even show me normal hospitality. Washing my feet would have been a common courtesy in those days. You didn't even do that. Your love for me is little. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Jesus' response was that he used the lesson or the event to teach Simon the a lesson in forgiveness and love. And from Jesus' perspective, this was an act of worship on the part of the woman who recognized her sin, loved the Lord Jesus, and her action was actually an act of faith in him. For Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wonderful story uh, of, a, of a woman who was broken by her sins and uh, demonstrated her response or her love for the Lord Jesus and what he could do for her by this act of worship. When a person is forgiven, the news gets around, and especially news about this woman. She, she had a reputation in town, but it was a bad reputation as a sinful woman. But her reputation was about to change. She is forever now known as a forgiven sinner. We sang the song at the beginning of the, the message today or the beginning of the meeting, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I want you to think back for just a minute at the time when you were troubled by your sins, the time when you recognized that you were a sinner and that you needed a savior. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that hour? when Jesus forgave your sins and he saved your souls? Do you remember the peace that he gave you on that day and the love that you felt for him? That woman did. This woman demonstrated her love through her sacrificial actions. And this is the first record of a woman in scripture responding to Jesus this way, but she would not be the last. And I believe that this story about what this woman did not only spread throughout Simon's house, but spread through the town and was repeated over and over again wherever um, Jesus went. No doubt those who were at the dinner would never forget this incident. And it seems that her sacrifice motivated others to, to show such sacrificial devotion as well. This act of sacrificial love is percolating in the minds and the hearts of others for probably one or two years. And then we read about the second one, John chapter 12, verses one through eight. The date here is found in, um, uh, I believe it's John 12, 12, but it says, then six, uh, maybe even uh, verse one, then six days before the Passover. So this would be not two years before the uh, crucifixion. This is six days before the crucifixion, It'd be Saturday. And it's important to see the timing here that this is a different story. And um, the location is also different. It says Jesus came to Bethany, the same town. Um, 
it, as we looked at um, in Matthew, but it's a different timing. This is six days. In Matthew, uh, it's two days. So it's a different event there as well. So this event appears to be in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a uh, place that the Bible tells us where Jesus loved to be. Um, and it's great if we have a home that is open to hospitality and it's open to the saints. And it's a place where Jesus loves to be. This is not in Simon's house. Uh, for here, we read that Martha served the meal. She prepared or made him supper. There they made him a supper. The character in this story is not an unnamed woman, but it's Mary. Not surprising. We read elsewhere about Mary. Uh, remember when um, uh, Martha <laughs> rebuked um, the Lord and said, Lord, tell my sister to help me. I, I'm so busy about, uh, about you know, serving. And Jesus said to Martha, 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 you're busy about so many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. What was the better part? She was sitting at Jesus' feet, worshiping him, listening to every word that came from his mouth. So it's no surprise that in this home, the one who is exercising a sacrificial gift to the Lord of worship is Mary. And it's, what is the gift in uh, verse three? Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet. Notice it does not say the head. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The response, verse five, four and five. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why did he say that? Verse six, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Jesus' response was this in verse 7. Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Jesus' perspective on the whole account was this. For you, for the poor you have always with you. But me you do not have always. So the next event is the third woman, and that is what we already looked at in Matthew chapter 26. And the story is replayed again in um, Mark chapter 14. So the Matthew account and the Mark account are the same. Uh, the date here is after two days is the Passover. In other words, in two more days, the Passover would take place, not six days. So the, so the story with Mary is six days before the crucifixion. The story with, the, with another unnamed woman is uh, two days before. The location is still in Bethany, but now it's no longer in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's in the house of Simon the leper. And a woman, the character is a woman, unnamed, verse 7. The gift is an alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil. It's the same kind of gift. And um, it is the fragrant oil, the, the alab alabaster flask of, um, 
of nard or of uh, spike nard. Sorry, couldn't remember the, the full name of it. Um, and she poured it on his head, it says, as he sat at the table. The response, and when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. And the reason they were indignant, why this waste for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Jesus responded, why do you trouble the woman? And his perspective is this. She has done a good work for me. You can always give to the poor. She anointed my body for burial. And then he memorialized her in the scripture for all eternity. What she did will be remembered uh, forever. Same sort of uh, passage. If you look at the Mark passage, really it follows the same uh sequence of events. So it's the same account. So we have three different events with three different women who demonstrate their love for the Lord by an act of loving sacrifice to him. It is sacrificial worship, and it is beautiful. In John, we read that Mary took a pound of spikenard oil and poured it over Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The Bible teaches that a woman's hair a woman's glory is her hair. And Mar Mary took her hair and essentially, or her glory, and laid it at his feet. In Matthew and Mark, the unnamed woman broke open an alabaster flask and poured out the spikenard oil over Jesus' head. Now, spikenard, or sometimes just called nard, is an amber-colored essential oil that is distilled from the roots of the nard plant. The plant uh, was at that time and still is grown in the Himalayan mountain region of Nepal, China, and India. The fragrance is described as woody, spicy, musky, and it was prized as a fragrant perfume, often reserved by women for their husband's enjoyment. The cost of a pound of spikenard as... Um, um, was stated in, in the earlier passage, was about 300 denarii. What is a denarius? Well, we know from the scripture in Matthew 20, verse 2, that Jesus tells a parable of vineyard workers who agreed to work in the vineyard for 12 hours for one denarius a day. So that was a typical daily wage for a farm worker or a vineyard worker. 300 denarii would equal a year's wages. And the average wage for a farm worker in California today in 2022 is roughly 25 to $35,000. So let's assume that the spike nerd uh, was worth the equivalent of $30,000. This single item was likely the most prized possession that this woman ever owned. As long as it was in the alabaster flask, no one could enjoy it, not even the woman who owned it. The fragrance was locked up, bottled up, and set aside for a special occasion. The fragrance of the spikenard could only be enjoyed by breaking open the alabaster flask. And as soon as the flask was broken, the fragrance filled the house 
and she anointed Jesus for burial. She demonstrated that Jesus was worth more to her than her prized possession. How much is Jesus worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to me? What is your yearly salary? None of us work in the fields, so our wages are likely higher than farm workers or vineyard workers. But I think of this woman and I wonder how long did it take her to set aside enough money, a year's wages, to buy a single flask of spikenard? It would be years. What necessities did she give up along the way through those years to ultimately be able to acquire a pound of perfume uh, or a flask of spikenard? And then what thought process did she go through in her mind to assure herself that Jesus was worth everything to her and that she would devote that entire treasured possession and pour it out upon his feet or upon his head? Now, this is a pretty personal question. How much do you earn in a single year? Do you earn 30000 50000 100, 200? What purchase would you consider to be of such great value that you would be willing to put aside an entire year's salary to acquire it? A car? A house? Can't get a house for a year's salary. An alabaster flask of precious perfume? Would you go out and buy something like that with your year's salary? Would you be interested in making such a purchase? Well, this woman did. She had already made the purchase. And in a moment of time, she gave it all to the Lord. And I think she counted the cost before Jesus arrived. She didn't just come randomly with a flask of spikenard uh, in an alabaster uh, flask. She came to commit a premeditated act of love for Jesus Christ. He meant everything to her. Can we say with her that Jesus is worth more than all our treasures? For such a savior deserves my heart, my life, my all. Luke, can you put up the uh, picture that uh, we have Yesterday, January 8th, 2022, marked the 66th anniversary of another loving sacrifice. At 3.12 p.m. on January 8th, 1956, on a sandbar next to a river in the jungles of Ecuador, Nate Saint's watch smashed against a stone as he fell to his death, and the hands of the watch stopped moving. That marked the time when five young men were speared to death by the Weodani Spears. Nate Saint, 32 years old. Roger Rodarian, 31 years old. Ed McCauley, 28. Jim Elliott, 28. And Peter Fleming, 27. They had gone to Ecuador to reach what they called at that time the Aka Indians, and they um, had 
made some preliminary contact with the tribe and thought that they had warmed up, that the tribe had warmed up to them, and now they wanted to meet them face to face. And so they landed their plane on a sandbar, waded across the river, and they were met by the, the Aka Indians or the Weodani people with spears, and they were all speared to death. They demonstrated their love for the Lord Jesus by offering their lives as martyrs to reach the Weodani people. And the fragrance of the gift of their lives filled the earth and led to many others offering their lives in missionary service. Two of the wives actually returned to the tribe and won many from the tribe to the Lord. And that tribe, many in the tribe today are born again believers who are carrying on a church in that uh, community. C.T. Studd, also a missionary, um, said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I don't know if you know this, but C.T. Studd also famously wrote the poem, Only One Life. We often quote just the refrain, which says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Go home and look up the, the rest of that poem that he wrote. It's, it's powerful. Now, I cannot prove this, but I believe that Mary and the other woman probably heard the story of the woman, the first woman, who was called a sinner, who poured out fragrant oil upon Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair. And my thought is that they were deeply moved by the expression of love and sacrifice and placed themselves in the same category as the, same, as the sinful woman. They too were just sinners saved by grace. Would they be willing to make the same sacrifice? And I think for a year or maybe two years, they looked for an opportunity. And when they saw it, they seized it and offered the greatest sacrifice they could. You know, it's often true that when one person makes a sacrifice, the fragrance of that gift fills the room or it extends much further than the room. And what the sinful woman did likely had a lasting impact on others who also showed sacrificial love for the Lord. And what that woman did is memorialized for her in scripture for all eternity. And people are still talking about her as we are today. We've heard three accounts of costly perfume poured out for the Lord Jesus. We remembered yesterday, and we told about them again today, five martyrs whose lives were poured out for the Lord. You know, we also remember the early church who lived sacrificially in Acts chapter 4, Beginning with verse 32, we read this. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them 
and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And so we see that sacrifice being carried out by the early church. And then we think of our greatest possessions that we own and ask the question, how much do I value the Lord and what he has done for me? Now, not everyone is so positive about the extravagant sacrificial gift. And so we go back to Matthew 26 and read in verse 8 and 9. But some were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? That's the term they used, wasted. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Now, in the earlier account where Mary poured out the fragrant oil on Jesus, it was who objected to this waste. He rebuked the woman and said the oil could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But the footnote in that passage to his comment is that he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He controlled the money and he used to steal the money for himself. He was only interested in himself. In the account in Matthew and Mark, it actually appears like the other disciples, maybe including Judas, made the same comments. And so the evil thought of Judas from several days earlier had had an impact. It influenced the disciples, even though Jesus had rebuked uh, Judas at the time. Some people sit on the sidelines and they watch as Christians give sacrificially to the Lord and they criticize them. They criticize the ones who want to make sacrifices in their service for the Lord. I was told early on in my Christian life, don't waste, this is the term, don't waste your youth on the Lord's work. You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to get ahead. You've got to set aside money for yourself. Wait until you retire and then serve the Lord. Really? Did I waste my life? No, I don't think so. I don't have the strength, the stamina, the physical resources that I once had. I couldn't even be there this morning to be with you. Wait for my retirement? I don't think so. Some people get upset seeing young people waste their lives for the Lord. They criticize, they complain about such waste, and they try to talk people out of giving too much to the Lord. Don't be a person who discourages others from serving the Lord, from going to the mission field, or questioning Believers who want to give their time and energy and financial resources to the Lord's work. They are the ones who claim to have others in mind. Oh, no, don't you waste. You're better to use your, your gifts elsewhere or to use the money to feed the poor or care for the poor. Judas didn't care. The money could have been given to the poor, they say, but they have no intention of using it for that purpose. They may be rich in this world's goods, but they are not rich toward God. The early church was known for its giving, and some shared to the point where Paul says they gave beyond what they were able. But the Laodicean church is known for its stinginess. For what will we be known? John writes, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. 
How does the love of God abide in him? You know, how we respond to other believers, how we respond to others in need is our response to the Lord Jesus. If we're stingy, well, we're certainly not pouring out uh, an alabaster flask of oil on Jesus' head or his feet. If we can't take care of those who are poor, the need is always there. It's always around us. And so the question for us as we consider this is, what is Jesus worth to you? What did Jesus think of such sacrifice? Well, we see this in verses 10 through 13. But before we read that, I want to remind you of another account. And this is an account of a poor widow. This widow is seen in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw Jesus. This is speaking of Jesus. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their, out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. That's a remarkable story. I mean, it, it should penetrate our hearts. It really should. Here is this widow, depending on God for her sustenance. She has two mites. It's like saying she had two pennies left, not even a nickel to her name. She had two pennies left. And she said, Jesus is worth it all. God is worth everything to me. I'm going to give him all because I am trusting in God to supply my needs tomorrow. Because he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. How did Jesus respond to that woman? He pointed her out to the disciples and praised her for what she did. He didn't rebuke her for that sacrifice. He honored her and, he, and she's honored in scripture for eternity too. How did Jesus respond to the women who poured out the fragrant oil and worshiped him? Matthew chapter 26, verse 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, the rebukers, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. It's interesting to note in scripture that after Jesus died, the women uh, came to the grave um, after the Sabbath with oils to anoint the body of Jesus, but they never had the chance to do so because Jesus was already resurrected. He had already risen from the dead. These women who anointed Jesus beforehand had the opportunity to do what no one else could do, and they anointed his body for burial. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later, still talking about this wonderful sacrificial worship of these women. Let's pray. Lord, these stories are moving to me and to us as we think about the um, honor that these women gave to you, this uh, sacrificial 
worship. And we just want to say, Lord, we love you. We want to honor you. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, release from our grasp or from, from us the grip of the grasping hand, Lord, for things and for uh, possessions and for money. And that, Lord, we might really value you more than anything else in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name.